Hey, 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 hold on, hold on. Gather around, everybody. Listen up. I got a story to tell. Tell, tell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Rico Lane, and thank you for checking in to the Blessed Money Podcast, where we help you build your relationship with Christ by sharing blessings and testimonies on Bible scriptures that is manifested in everyday people's lives like yourself. If you have ever found a Bible difficult to understand, struggle with your faith, or simply wonder why Christians believe the way that they do, then this podcast is definitely for you. I believe that if we can show you that the Bible is made real in our personal lives today, even though it was written so many years ago by so many different authors, then you just may change the way you view the Bible. It may even spark your curiosity on the Bible or Christ, and I know without a doubt, if you seek Christ, you will find him. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And oh yeah, don't forget, be a blessing and share your testimony. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus. I thank you for an opportunity for me to be used by you, Lord. I thank you for an opportunity to be a vessel to share your word. I pray that as I discuss your word, that it is all you and none of me. I also pray that the listeners' ears, their eyes, their hearts, and their minds are open so that they hear the truth, they know the truth, and they understand the truth. And anything that may not be the truth, I pray that you take it away from their memory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, what's going on, Blessed Money family? Thank y'all for checking back into the Blessed Money podcast. And I cannot tell you how excited I am for my guest today. Man, I was so geeked up and happy when he agreed to do this interview. My guest today is retired Chief Master Sergeant Todd Simmons. So some of y'all may not be familiar with the military rank structure, so I'm just going to go ahead and break it down for y'all who don't understand it. First off, you know that I have a passion for uh, teaching. I have a passion for coaching and mentoring. Well, my guest today, not only did he serve 25 years in the Air Force, he was also the command chief of our university. And so, again, I know a lot of y'all may not understand what that means, but let me explain it. First of all, there's two ways that you can join the military, either enlisted or you can commission as an officer. So when you hear stuff like captain, lieutenant, general, major, those are all the officers. And then when you hear stuff like sergeant, master sergeant, chief master sergeant, in the Air Force case, airman, if you familiar with army, it may be private, you know, uh, a soldier. That's typically your uh, the enlisted side of the house, right? And the difference between the commission side and the enlisted side, the easiest way I can explain it to where people who are not familiar with the military can get it. Think about uh, the workers at a grocery store, right? So the managers, the bosses, the people that kind of set the schedule and, and you you rarely ever see unless there's a problem. They're typically like the, co- the uh, commission side of the house. And then the people who you see on a daily basis, the baggers, the cashiers, the workers, that's typically the enlisted side of the house. And so in every career field, it doesn't really all, it's not always cut and dry like that. But for the most part, you can kind of get the idea of the difference in the rank structure, right? Well, Chief Master Sergeant Simmons, he retired at the highest enlisted rank that you can get in the Air Force. A chief is the highest rank you can get. But not only did he retire at the highest rank you can get, he taught at, uh, he, he was the command chief, so he was the enlisted highest ranking at the Air University. And so for those of y'all who don't know what Air University is, let me tell you like this. Our Air Force is the greatest Air Force in the world. Well, Air University is responsible for training our Air Force members, our Airmen. And so he was heading that. So that lets you know the type of experience he has. That lets you know uh, the type of uh, knowledge that he's about to get ready to drop on us in this podcast. And it also uh, it also speaks volumes to, to his passion for teaching and mentoring and giving back. And so in this episode, I'm not going to lie, we went pretty long before we got to the actual blessed And I did that on purpose because if any other airman or any anybody in general, if you listen to this, you're going to get some great nuggets on leadership and you're going to also get the word and and i think that's just extremely valuable because for us as christians we got to be ready we got to be ready to be an example we got to be ready to show 
with Christ here on earth. And sometimes that may mean we're going to be in a position of leadership. So I encourage you to play close attention to today's episode. Uh, I mean, he just dropped so many just valuable tips and tools that any leader can learn from. And then on top of that, he shared a powerful blessedimony. He was very upfront and very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He was very vulnerable in his story and just telling all his shortcomings and how God helped him overcome it. And so today we're going to be, we're going to actually do something a little different. We're going to be in two different Bible scriptures. So he was like, hey, you know, I got two. I don't really know which one I want to do. And I was like, let's do both. And so when I actually read both of them, they actually tied in perfectly. So the first one, Deuteronomy 31, 6 through 8. Deuteronomy chapter 31, 6 through 8. And the second one is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Both of those scriptures touch on leadership. This is an episode you don't want to miss. I'm not going to tell you how they tie in together because you got to actually take a uh, listen to the episode. You got to hang in there till we get to the blessed morning. But I, I promise you this, that it's going to be time well spent. It's going to be something that you can uh, gain value from. And so I just really hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, let your boy know. No. All right, so Chief Master Sergeant Retired Simmons. Uh, I know you ser- you decided to serve your country. You uh, did it long enough to retire, and then now you're enjoying that retirement life. So can you just kind of give us a quick history on why you joined, how long you joined, and then what you got going on now that you're retired? Absolutely. Hey, thanks for, for the invite. I've, I've been looking forward to this since we met, you know, a little over a month ago. Um, definitely... Uh, I do a lot of these things, so this one definitely is more personal to me. Um, uh, probably the more most personal one I've done. So yeah, I joined the Air Force um, exactly almost 25 and a half years ago. So I joined the Air Force 25 and a half years ago. I'm from a small town called Hardyville, South Carolina, which is right outside of the Buford, Hilton Head, Savannah, Georgia Triangle area there that's smack dag in there. So I joined 25 years ago. And, you know, for me, I have, you know, you know, we'll talk about that down the road. But for me, this this was the first blessing in my life that, that gave me everything I have today. I, I'm a product of everything was against me from becoming an airman in the United States Air Force, all the way to from my academic background to um, um, history of, of everything. I, I, you know, I should not have been allowed, you would say, if it came down to just man making the decision for me not to be an airman. But I but I got here. And I served 25 and a half honorable years of service and uh, retired as the command chief of Perry University. And and as we get into talking about that, that just right there still to this day brings chills down my spine to say that I retired from being the command chief of Perry University, which was I was a senior enlisted for all Air Force education and development, which is right there is a lot, you know, uh, to do with my story. And, you know, I, I served, I could have served 30 years as, as a high year, 10 years, 30 years for a chief, but I got to 25 years and I actually had 20 years in the Air Force, I was going to retire and, and, and just some great things happened and some great opportunities, but I got to 24 and a half years and I looked at my family and I'm super blessed to have two awesome daughters, 123 and 118, my wife who I met way back when we both were young airmen and just had, just looked at everything that was going on in my life and and we were just blessed to have, you know, two great kids, a family that was going, you know, going the right direction. My wife's career was going the right direction. And I just looked at everything that I was allowed to do and the opportunities that I had. And I went, you know, I, I want to go now with all of these blessings for 25 years that I received to, to, to find myself, to be able to, to believe in myself, to be able to know that I have abilities, to know that, that these things are true. And they're not, you know, they're, they're, these, these are just things that now I know that I am a worthy person in this world. I want to go now at 43 years old and I want to go out and take all this stuff and see what I can do with no barriers, no crutch. Um, not that the Air Force was a crutch, but, you know, 18 year old kid coming in in the Air Force with nothing, literally a pair of Tommy Hilfiger um, polo shirt and a jeans and a, and a backpack is what I brought into the United States Air Force. And 24 and a half years later, when I decide to retire, I have a life and a family and not even the material things. That's the life and the family, two great kids and all of these things. And I wanted to now know what I really was made of and that can I go be myself? 
Can I go be Todd Simmons now and take these things and, and really go out in the world? And so I transitioned and my initial thing was to get a job um, teaching leadership development. Uh, I've been, I was very fortunate 13 years ago to have an initial opportunity to teach college. Um, when, I got, when I got my bachelor's degree and then I was working on my master's, I had an opportunity to teach college at a two-year school, Central Texas College. And that just materialized in 13 years of teaching at different institutions. And I, I love to teach. And I wanted to just get out, teach online and teach in, in, in a classroom. So I got this idea, a friend of mine was, um, was doing some development and some different things. And I, like I said, I love teaching. I love uh, giving back. I love, you know, funny story, we'll get it in that. A long time ago, um, someone told me that one day I would be a pastor and a skilled writer. Someone told me, and I was looking at it, and I, I probably was eight years old. And um, I was like, whatever. And I, and, I, and I told my wife this story about 10 times. Um, but I just have, I feel most alive when that is happening. So for me, um, transition, I actually applied for a few jobs. I was, I was, you know, most veterans, you know, you don't know you're 18 years old, you retire in your 40s or 50s, and you just don't know what the world's going to offer you. I actually was hired for three jobs right off the bat. Very awesome opportunities. I, was, I felt very blessed. I felt very nervous. And I was like, oh my goodness, people actually want what I have to offer. And I turned and I turned them all down. And I turned them all down. I looked at my wife and I said, I'm going out on faith. I don't know. I know how much retirement I'm going to get. So that's that that'll pay the rent if we have to get there. But my wife has a good job and stuff. And we would put ourselves in a good situation. So I say, I'm going to for one year, I'm going to go out. And I'm going to start my own business. And I'm going to see if really people want to partake in what I'm trying to offer, which is, is, is inspiration, hope, building trust, building cultures and organizations, building the kind of human being that is a, a empathetic, compassionate person in business and how that ties in to being those type of leaders in business, how that ties into to, to maintaining a workforce that wants to be there. So I'm like, man, no one, you know, I'm going to start my own business. And, you know, we talked about scriptures I pick and I, so I named my business Courageous Leadership Alliance. So CLA, so Courageous Leadership Alliance. And um, so I went out there on my own and I started a business and, you know, for six months before I retired, I tried to, I developed my business in month one. I didn't know, you know, month one, I was already, I, I was already hired for 14 different jobs, including three corporate companies. And it blew my mind. So until until, you know, our current situation with that we're in now with the pandemic, you know, I was on the road for, you know, 11, 12, 13 days. I had, you know, three different corporations meeting. I had meetings with a Fortune 500 company. I was trying to hire people in the first 60 days of my company being home and I'm already hiring people. So I, I just felt like, man, um, like, man, what what a journey. So for me to come full circle and um, being that 18 year old kid who who was barely given an opportunity to be able to give others opportunity 25 years later and hopefully inspire people to know that you can do truly walk out on faith and believe. And, uh, you know, I, I visualize things a lot. So I'm a very visual person. And for me, I believe like when I was talking to my wife to go out there, and say I'm going to stop my own business. I'm like, I believe everything in my heart it becomes like, I know it's going to work because I've already been told that it's going to work. I've already told if you're doing it the right way and if you were putting it, I mean, if you're doing it, I already saw the vision. And, and for me, people think sometimes, even in the Air Force, when I was still active duty, I would go out and make bold decisions. And sometimes people would go, I don't know about that, Chief. And I'm like, no. I, I know this is the right thing to do. And sometimes it will go against the grain of what the Air Force believes, but it would be about what I believe that people need it. And it will always work out. And the mission would always take care of itself and people would always flourish. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's it. That's my, that's my, I know I'll get to talking and, and you know, things are getting <laughs> get long. So that's oh, my trend. That's why. That's my why. Okay. So a couple things. things. Uh, one, um, 
I definitely relate to your story. It's kind of like me sitting here talking to you. It's like I'm looking in the mirror. Like, it's weird. Cause like, even the first time I heard you talk, I, like, I, and I told you I related to a lot that you said. But, but one, um, the same things that you're saying about how you like to teach. You got a passion. That's when you're happy and you're good. I feel the same exact thing. I got my bachelor's in, um, I got my bachelor's in business, but I hated every minute of it. So I did my master's in adult education. So then I got to go, that gave me the opportunity to go and teach at the university of Georgia. I know you see all the Georgia gear. And so, uh, we have that in common. And for those who don't know, our university is responsible for making the Air Force what it is. It's like, we're the great, we have the greatest Air Force in the world and we get our training from our university. So for you to, to be the chief master sergeant in charge over there at our university, it says a lot. And so I, I definitely take my hat off to your service for that because teaching is something I, I definitely relate to. Uh, my grandma told me that one day I'm going to be a pastor. Uh, in school, I got the most likely to be a writer. So, you know, and I couldn't see it myself, but here we are. I'm doing the blessimony thing. I wrote I wrote my first book entitled Blessimony. And so I think the one thing uh, I can definitely relate to the most is how you were saying, like, when you transition out from the Air Force, you kind of wanted to see what you can do without those, without the, the, the crutch of the Air Force. And so I'm coming up. I just hit November was my 16-year mark. And so I'm getting to that cross point in my life to where I'm ready to transition out and see what life is like on the outside. And I want to start my own business. And I want it to be mainly like a ministry and teaching people and helping them understand things. And so uh, what people, what I, what I value the most about your business and what you do is that you talk about uh, the leadership from a perspective uh, you talk about it from the perspective of the leader and how the leader really needs to be there for their people and how the leader needs to serve their people. And it reminds me of Jesus on how he was a servant leader. He said, he said, I come, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And so you brought up a couple points in your um, speech as you did at LA Air Force Base that I wrote down that I would like for you to kind of expound on and share okay. with the people here. And the first one, well, and, they, and the first two, they actually probably kind of connect together. So I'll just say both of those and then let you do your thing. But uh, the first one, you was talking about how vulnerability saves lives and because it shows compassion. And, and again, I think that ties back to that, uh, that servant leader. You know, if you can show your people, uh, if you can be vulnerable with your people, they'll want to open up to you. So if they're going through something, they'll be willing to share it with you. And then the other thing you talked about was uh, take opportunities to make connections with people. And again, I think both of those all kind of tie to that same thing. So you want to kind of just expound on it so that way I don't jack up your words. No, no, absolutely. And you're right. Uh, vulnerability connection kind of go hand in hand with me. And um, man, and well, that's a powerful statement. When you say vulnerability, I, you know, I've told senior leaders in the Air Force, I've told senior leaders in corporate America this, that, that vulnerability saves lives and I always get a stare. And it's hard to explain that to people because I've lived it. You know, it's hard to explain to people that, that you, well, that's where the connection piece comes in at. So, right. So me, I'm a share. So I always got this thing that I call pull the string. And I always tell people, always anyone who worked for me or anybody who's around me, I always try to teach them in that kind of aspect about pulling the string. So when you are in a conversation with someone, you try to make sure the conversation keeps going and maturing until you find that connection point with each other. Like when we met, you know, it only took us about 10 minutes to kind of find such you know, it doesn't have to be five or six. Find a, the commonalities that you have with each other to build a deeper connection. And then you build upon that. It's a builder block. When someone truly trusts you, and when I tell, and I do this exercise in trust in, in, in a lot of my seminars, and if someone truly trusts you and is willing to come in and open up about things in their life that's, um, that, that, that may not, you know, they may be ashamed and shame is another piece of, they may feel ashamed, uh, you know, like we say this thing about shame, um, that, you know, to talk to you, that's a good thing. So for me, um, vulnerability, why vulnerability for me? I, and, and part of the story, I know the listeners probably thinking, like, what is the speech here? I talk, so to expound upon that, for me, vulnerability saves lives. And because for me, when I was 19 years old, I attempted to take my own life. And for a long time, I was very, very shameful of that. 
for a long time, I was very shameful of that. I was in a dark place at 19 years old. I came from a dark environment before I joined the Air Force, and I put everything into the United States Air Force where my trust in the Air Force was artificial. I just trusted it as this because it because I felt like it saved me and it gave me an opportunity. And the Air Force as an entity never has let me down my whole life or my family down. There have been people who have let me down. So some people let me down at 19 years old and I tied it into being the Air Force and I, and I attempted to take my life. But the person who actually saved me and and and, and actually the person who saved me was God. But 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 the person God sent was this guy who was you know, some guy I've seen seven, eight, nine times that had very slight interactions in my life. And that night when I called my mom to tell her that I wanted to take my life, and on the second night, um, this guy at 9.30 at night was in the dormitory and he was a senior master sergeant, first sergeant. This man's 40 something years old. He just happened to come to the dorm as I was cutting my arms up, trying to get out of a phone booth. And this man was there and he stood there. And when I tell people this, I've told the story a thousand times at this point. I sometimes can't even talk about it because at that moment in the story, the feeling overwhelms me because I know it was a presence there more than this man. Because that man looked me in the eye and when I got out of that phone booth and he said, how can I help you? And not only, it wasn't even about the, oh, he's a shirt, he saved my life and he went and got me mental health help, which all of that occurred and all of this. This man was, a, a, if I had to say an angel, this man was on my shoulders for a whole year doing things for me that no one to this day has never, ever done for me. And I've never heard from him again. I've never seen him again. I've never been in contact with him since 1996. But this man saved me and disappeared from nowhere and saved me for a whole year. This man took me on a deployment with him. That man picked me up. I mean, he literally gave me the tools that I have today to be who I am today. And just, we just never talked again. But I knew, so when I say vulnerability, because when that person came into my life, I didn't trust anybody, anyone. And for some reason, when he showed up, I had about five seconds to say if I was going to trust him or not. And my mind immediately locked on to this perfectly stranger, at least, that I've had some interactions with in my squadron. And I, and I, something said, trust this guy. And, and this guy's here to help you. And I allowed him into my life. So, you know, vulnerability, I would, you know, saves lives where, you know, when I allowed that man into my life, he was vulnerable to me. He, he trusted me. He trust, he put his career on the line and said, I'm taking Airman Simmons to the desert with me 90 days after he just attempted to take his life. You know, so. When I say vulnerability saves lives, he shared things with me I've never shared with other people. You know, he taught me the, the power of being a real human being, you know? And that and, and to this day, that strength has never left me. Why can I, why, you know, at LA, I can get up in front of 800 people and tell people the darkest secrets about me. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it because as many times as I've told that story to tens of thousands of people, it helps somebody. You can say it's ministering, you can say whatever, but I usually show up and, and do other things other than tell my story. But why it's important for me to tell my story because I believe that I have saved people's lives because I'm vulnerable enough. I don't believe, I know I have saved some people's lives because I've had things I won't share on, on, on this podcast, but I will tell you there are people who were ready to take their own lives who have reached out to me as a stranger, as a stranger reached out to me. Mm. Yeah, that's good. So I know, and my, um, that's, I actually do a lot of, I like to be very transparent whenever I'm, I'll just say preaching or teaching or however you want to say it. And so I found that when I am transparent, then other people are transparent with me. They're willing to open up to me and share things with me. And so, and it's backed up by the word, you know, the Bible tells us to, to confess our sins to one another and then pray for one another and that's how we're healed. And so unless I can trust you, unless I know that if I share my darkest secret with you, you're not going to judge me or outcast me or in the sake of the military put me out or something, then I'm not going to confess those sins to you. And so for me, uh, whenever I do Bible studies, when I do small groups, matter of fact, 
blessedimony. That's the whole point of it is having people share what they've been through to, to give somebody else hope that they can get through the same thing. And so I, 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 I really connected with that. And I really believe that vulnerability actually does save lives is because it, it allows people to be able to open up and, and get the help they need and get that and get that healing. Um, so then, um, at the end of your, at the end of your speech, and so that, and I promise we're going to get into the testimony to everybody, but at the end of your speech, you uh, gave, um, I believe it was four steps to succeed. The, uh, I don't know if you had, a, I, I took notes on them. I don't know if you uh -huh. remember, remember them verbatim, but I just mm -hmm. wondered if you just kind of wanted, wanted to ex uh, share those. And you talked about one, an accountability mirror. Um, mm -hmm. And so you can kind of go into that, evaluate your circle, uh, develop an executable plan, and then reconcile with those, you know, who weighed you down. Those were the four things I remember you sharing that we can go forth and do. And so if you want to just kind of expound on those a little bit for the listeners. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, my life has been, a, a, a my life has been, you know, I look back and I have no regrets on anything. It's been, it's been great. But I've had challenges throughout, you know, and I've had challenges as a young man, like it, like, and I've had challenges through the middle part of my life. And I've had challenges toward, um, you know, when I was reaching my late thirties and early forties, we have challenges. How I faced those challenges is, has been uh, important. So what I, the most valuable lesson I learned at 19 years old, when I was going through my, um, my bout with depression essentially, and, 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 and self-worth was that I needed to reconnect. You know, I needed to reconnect with those values. I mean, you know, I remember, you know, I grew up in a small Southern town and uh, when I was, you know, six years old, my, my, my stepdad was, a, my mom married a, a pastor, my stepdad, and, and I needed to reconnect with the thing. And I, my great grandmother, who was a, matri was a matriarch of my entire family, was one of, I mean, the most faithful woman I've ever seen up until her deathbed. I mean, just, 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 man, just taught us so much about how we should be and how we should believe and how we should always put it in God's hands. And also you have to do the work. And she always, always gave us those, those, those uh, pillars. But for me, I had to develop something. I mean, um, 2011 is kind of when I came up with, with these four pillars and, and I was going through some challenges and some, some leadership challenges. I lost some airmen. Um, I had a 15 airmen. Uh, I grew up in security forces and I was the squadron superintendent and I had 15 airmen attacked in 2011 in a terrorist attack in Frankfurt, Germany. And I, and I, and I lost, I lost one particular airman, um, senior airman Nicholas Alden, who at the time I took some personal responsibility for that and still do, I, you know, I, that, that hit me very hard as a leader because of some things that have transpired on how he was even there. And I went through another bout that I had to come through. You know, I had some great friends around me at that time. I had some great people, uh, one particular retired chief now who lives up in my area, who was a, a, a man of God and who just, man, if I wasn't for that man at the time, I, I probably would not have come through the other side, who was very, I mean, I, I don't know how many lunches that man had with me and kept me right. But I had to come up through that, through that, how do I keep myself grounded? And, and it's account. so I'll start with the accountability mirror. It's not a day that goes by and it's uh, that I don't look in the mirror and reevaluate who I am. You know, I might say absolutely nothing. I might say something. I might be there for a minute or two or three or four minutes, but I really stand in front of that mirror and I really, really give a time to process who I am and what I'm thankful for and what 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 has been so many blessings in my life. I evaluate that day that I can't walk away from this mirror thinking that my life is in a bad place because it's in such an awesome place. I have to, I have to give myself that every day. And, and, and for me personally, it does wonders for me because you can get up and you can let things just materialize in your mind or, oh, I don't feel like going to work or I don't do this. And I know I drive my spouse crazy sometimes because I always try to find a positive in absolutely everything. Yeah. You know, so and when I get up in the morning, I'm a very, um, I get up, I'm a spring. I get up like a spring out of the bed. So I get up and the first thing I do is I evaluate myself. I go in the bathroom and I go, and that gives me so much energy to spend the next 30 minutes 
seeing my, my wife when I get up together when I was at in the military. So I was see, I mean, it's, it gives me that morning to be so thankful. So I'm annoying her the whole time. I'm like happy. I'm like, hey, how's everything going? And I'm just like ready. I, I, I go to work and I walk in with a ready attitude. And it just gives me so much power because all I'm thinking about is thank you, God, for all of this, not nothing material. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my wife. You know, thank you for my health. And I just, I just really evaluate that these other things are just these other challenges that we take and put to the forefront of our life are not that important. So, you know, I, that's why I just say, you know, thank you. And I get it. And that's, and so that's, that's, I talk, I'll talk the most on that because that's the most powerful one to me. And the second one I think was uh, evaluate your circle. So that was tough. And, you know, and, um, I came from, and I've come full circle on that. You know, I came from a, a, a area where people work very hard, but there was, you know, you grew up with a lot of distrust and, and, and family members, blood relatives. It was just, I grew up, unfortunately, a lot of distrustful relationships because I never learned as, as how to trust people. So I kind of carried that into my adult life and I would become friends with people I call it friends, you know, I would become friends with people that I never should have been friends with, that was never good for me, that maybe that validated me in some negative ways. So you have to go, and you know, for me, I tell people, evaluate your circle, go write down everyone that you consider your inner and outer circle friends. I mean, write it down, visualize it, write it down, and, and look at what value not only do these people add to you, but what value you add into these people. Because sometimes that we can see someone who's struggling and they'll be a friend and we just go, well, I'm just not going to say anything because I don't want to ruin our friendship. Is, is that really being a friend? And if you if you want, why would you want someone around you that brings an energy that you always now have an issue with, but you don't want to say nothing, which creates more energy on you? Because it's going, you know, so, so I tell people evaluate and sometimes um, you have to take a step back from even relatives. Sometimes you need to take a step back and you always explain to people that I'm always here for you. Everyone I take a step back from, I tell them, hey, you know what? Um, you're going to be this part of my life, which means that I'm always going to be there as, as if you ever call and you're emergent, if you need anything. But to have you in my space all the time, it's not healthy for me. So always evaluate who you let into your space. And um, I talk about having an executable plan, exactly what I just said. A lot of times when folks are going through things, they have these lofty, huge plans. Sometimes, and especially in, for, for me, it's just keeping the faith and knowing who I am and executing, as simple as that. But this four-step plan for me, which is really three steps, and the fourth four step is having an executable plan is I know every day I'm going to be thankful. I know every night I go to bed, I'm going to be thankful. And one of the things I'm thankful for when I get up is that I'm alive. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be alive. Every time I walk out of a doctor's office, which I had a medical appointment just yesterday, the first thing I do is say, thank you for my health. You know, thank you, because that's nothing I can control. Thank you for my health. And the last thing is reconcile. And that's the last, I added this one two years ago. Reconcile with those who have weighed you down. And, and I didn't start this until two years, uh, a little over two years ago. I will tell you like, and, and I grew up in a, in a family that, um, and my mom is a great lady and she did the best she could for us. But I grew up in a family, a mixed family of, of kids and and we didn't, you know, my mom worked two jobs most of her life. And we just didn't have, you know, like 18 years. My family don't, you know, I grew up, my family don't use the word love. I mean, not that no one doesn't love each other, but it just wasn't that type of environment that we didn't use those type of words and we didn't hug and say, I love you and stuff. So, you know, my sister and I, my older of the two sisters passed away two years ago. And I will tell you, you know, there's always been things that I wanted to reconcile with her. Always. Like always as an adult. And I would tell you, she was super supportive of me. My sister is the only person who has come to probably majority of the places I was stationed around the world. I spent 17 years overseas. And, and um, she was one of the only people who've come. But we will never have the conversation that needed to be had. 
Never. And it was so, as the older we got, the more awkward it got for me. And, and I always would tell my wife, like, one day I want to have that conversation. One day I want to have that conversation. One day I want to have that conversation. And it never came. And one day my brother-in-law called me and said my sister had about nine hours to live. Is kind of what he told me. Say, is she Because it was in the afternoon. And he said, I, I don't think she's going to make it. She had really bad cancer that kind of took a turn really fast. I just saw it at Thanksgiving. And this was now January. Um... So Thanksgiving, I saw her was at a house eating dinner, and and uh, I noticed she had a little weight loss, but not bad, nothing, you know. So and then January, she had you know basically a day to live. So I got in my car. Luckily, I was in town, not traveling. I drove all the way to South Carolina, just like left my office, called my wife, and I got on the road. And I got there, and I had a couple of hours to spend with my sister before she passed away to reconcile. Essentially, without even words or anything, I just I needed that for myself. So it taught me a lesson right there to because um, I carry and all of us carry everyone I've ever talked to. And I'm very open about these things in my life. People carry these relationship things with family or they carry these relationship things and they carry them so deep and they bury them. And, and while both of us are on this earth, I said, I'm never going to do that again. Right. I'm never going to allow that to happen. So reconcile with those who may have weighed you down. I don't have and I and I share this, I think I don't know if I share this with L.A., but, you know, my my dad and I do not have a great relationship. And I, when I say we don't have a great relationship, we have a lack of a relationship. So it's not a good or a bad. It's just you don't we don't really know each other. Right. And it's not for anything malice or anything. We just don't know each other. Um, so a couple of years ago when I was stationed down in California, he gave me a call, which I've never changed my number. And he wanted to, he wanted to kind of, you know, get to know me or whatever and try to start over from scratch. But Hey, you know, I have a lot of issues for how my dad has done things for in 18 years of my life. I have extreme issues with that. But for me, it was great for me to finally say my piece. My dad has been talking to me for years over the last 20 years and, and always I would never say anything. I would always continue to be the 10 year old kid who just stayed quiet and never defend or get my peace out. And I finally said my peace for two hours in that conversation of how I felt and that I hold no malice in my heart, but this is just how I feel. But this is now the relationship that I need to have with you. I got it. And the relationship I need to have with you now is a little bit farther off than what you would want. And this is why. And it was the best thing that happened. Those are two different examples of, of rec I reconciled with him. I told him everything that was on my heart and on my spirit. And I even told him, I don't think he's a bad person. I know you're not a bad person. I, I always wanted you to be the father that I wished you would have been. I wanted you to be this man who I can look up to. I wanted you to be this man who who supported my ambitions and who saw what other people may have saw in me, but you didn't see that in me. I wanted you to be that person. And, um, and I thanked him for the strength that he gave me because now I'm a better father because of that because I wanted nothing more than to be a great father to my kids. And I said, a lot of that came because I didn't know what a father was. I just had a hardworking mom. So for me, you gave me something and, and I appreciate it. So, you know, and, 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 I, and I told him, I, I don't wish him any ill will. And I even invited him, you're welcome into my life, but you're not welcome into my life with your version. Yeah, man, that's deep. That so same same with me. I I have a lack of of a relationship with my dad as well, but mainly it was because it was for our for my safety, for my mom's safety. My dad he ended up uh, dying in prison, but um and I and I talk about that a bunch of other times, so I won't go deep into it here. But I do like the fact, and I do believe the fact that we do have to reconcile. Regardless of the situation, we do have to be willing to forgive others, especially if we want God to forgive us. A lot of times when we're angry with somebody or we have uh, a un less than perfect relationship with somebody, we forget that that person, you know, 
is is imperfect too, and that person is God's children too, and so so I think it's I I really value that advice that we do have to reconcile, even if that even if even if it means we're not gonna actually be a part of each other's lives the way we would like to be or or whatever, but we can move on. I actually made a similar decision with the with the with the pastor in the church that, that I was going to. It's like. I believe that that pastor has a heart for God. I believe that that pastor uh, has a heart for his people, but just his leadership style and the things that he kind of was, the way he was teaching things, I didn't agree with. And so I tried my best to explain to him that, hey, it's nothing personal. It's just that I can't be under your leadership style. Your leadership style. I can't support that anymore. Um, And so... I think it's best if I seek another spiritual leader, right? And so I tried to keep the relationship, tried to keep, you know, try to reconcile or whatever. But the reality of it was, it was time for us to go two separate ways. And it's okay. And I always tell people, your heart has to be clear with pure intentions. And as long as you have pure intentions and no malice in your heart, then you you will feel, you will feel okay. And, And that's why when I say I added that, I walk away with no ill intent from anyone anymore because anyone that I feel that I need to separate myself from or, or even people who are close to me, that's why I'm big into communication and being transparent and being honest. So if and it starts with knowing who you are with the mirror and it starts with um, knowing who adds value to your life, no monetary or no materialistic value, who adds spiritual value, who adds value to make you feel like a human being, who adds value to lift you up, who is the people who are making you feel like I get up in the morning and I am and I am a part of something in other people's lives and it's fulfilling. And, and then, you know, having that plan and then reconciling is so important, like you said, because I carried so much weight in my heart. And I mean, I'm proud to say even my brother, my brother is 10 years older than me. And my brother and I just because he was 10 years older than me and because our family dynamics, we didn't grow up together really. We grew up in the same town and he was in the house for a little bit and then he was older and gone when he was like 17. So me and my brother never had a relationship really. We just, we never a bad relationship or we just didn't have one. But man, I was so proud to look out um, at my retirement ceremony and see my brother sitting in the front row. I was so absolutely, cause I know my brother's always been proud of me. You know, we just never talked about it. And that, when we talk about reconciling, that's the good way. Now my brother and I are building a relationship. If, you know, we're going to go to some football games. He lives in Dallas this year. And it's something that I always wanted. Everybody who has a big brother wants to acknowledge their big brother. You know, and I just feel that it's never too late. You got, you got to, I'm 44 years old. I've never had a relationship, never really did anything with my brother. And I don't care that these, you know, now at 44 and 54, we're going to have that relationship and I'm, and I'm looking so forward to it. So the reconcile can come in all kinds of different ways that can be so positive in your life. And you can, you can sit there and hold malice in your heart and be missing out on so many things. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you a funny story about my brother. And so, so my little brother, he, me and him actually do have a, a, a good relationship because my mom had him when I was 10. So I basically like helped change diapers and help take care of him and that kind of stuff. So he always looked up to me or whatever. Well, one time, I think I was stationed, not stationed, but I was TDY in LA. And he happened to be in LA at the same time. So he just kind of came and hung out my hotel. And then the major uh, that I was TDY with, we, we both went out to lunch. And I was telling, I don't know how we got in the conversation, but I was just talking about how my brother basically needs to grow up and act like a, you know, just take care of himself kind of thing. And then the major was like, big brother duties are never over, are never done. And so he never lets me live that down now. He's like, oh, big brother duties are never done. It don't matter. You're always going to have to take care of your little brother and this and that, yeah. that and this. And like you said, you know, even though you and your brother didn't have it at a young age, now y'all are having it and you, you always kind of wanted that. I know my little brother, He when he hear this, he definitely going to add more flame oil <laughs> to the flame or whatever. Oh, about. yeah. It's a, it's a big thing. I always wanted my brother's affection. I did. You know, I always wanted to, you know, we never had a bad relationship. I went into the Air Force at 18, so I kind of left home and we kind of, you know, lost track from there. But we had a great conversation after my retirement. Great conversation. Three weeks ago, I opened the mail up. I got a, a, a ring at the doorbell a couple of weeks ago, right before I came out to LA and it was a box there. And I'm like, what is this box? I open it up, you know, 
just something, you know, my brother and I never had this type of relationship, you know? He was at my retirement and he had a blue blazer on it. I was like, man, that's good. I like clothes. And I was like, hey, that's a really nice blue blazer. I rung my doorbell. It was, he bought me the same blue blazer and mailed it to me. So I tell you, it's, yeah, it's a material thing, but the material thing had nothing to do with it. It was like, man, you know, I'm 44 years old. And, you know, like that's the first, that was a moment, you know, that, that, that was the, the building of a moment that me and my, like the, what this can be, you know, like, you know, and I was, I was very excited about that. And, um, so that's why I reconciled so easy because I could have been very petty and go, well, me and my brother don't, don't talk and stuff. I'm not going to invite him to my retirement. And, you know, I don't know. No, he was right there on the front row with his wife. And I was so proud for him to be there. And, and man, I talked about him at my retirement and, and of course he cried. You know, but I told him we didn't have a relationship, but I know we can, but now's the time for us to do better for that. And I said it in front of hundreds of people and, you know, and, and I really meant it. I'm like, I was so happy that he, I mean, 25 years of military has never been to anything I've been to. So for him to at least see the end of my career was, was just as important as, I don't even care if he ever been to anything for 25 years. He got to see, he got to see me at my last day. And that I that I made the family proud, hopefully that I made him proud, and he told me that uh, he that I made that he's always been super proud of me, and that meant a lot. That made it meant a lot for me. Like what you hear so far, this podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. You can support the show by purchasing a copy of the Blessed Money book or apparel on Amazon.com. The proceeds help us to continue to deliver the Blessed Money ministry. You can continue the conversation on blessedemony.com or on the Blessedemony app, available on both Apple and Google's Play Store. We would love to hear your thoughts on the show or your testimony on today's scripture. Thank you for your support, and now back to the show. show, show. All right, so to the listeners real quick, I know we've been going long, but when you have somebody with 25 years of service, <laughs> 25 years of good mentorship, you got to soak it all in. But we're about to get ready to hop right into uh, the Chief's Blessedimony. All right, so Chief, when we talked about doing this, you had two scriptures that you, you wasn't really sure which one you wanted to do. I said, well, let's go ahead and do them both. And so I'm going to go ahead and read those scriptures. And then we'll just kind of talk about, you know, why those two scriptures. Um, I got my I got my own thoughts because they definitely connect with each other. So I'll share those as well. And then we'll hop into your uh, testimony for those scriptures. So the first one is going to be Deuteronomy 31, uh, 6 through 8. And so I'm going to read it out. Uh, excuse my public reading. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God. He it is that doeth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto the unto their fathers to give them. And thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is that doeth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. And so that's uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, but the other scripture was Joshua 1 9, which actually con uh, connects very well. Because in uh, Deuteronomy, what's actually happening right there is Moses, if you read the entire scripture, Moses is uh, telling the people of Israel, hey, I'm getting older. God told me I'm not going to be able to go into the promised land with y'all. So y'all need to go forth. Uh, he talks to them about their enemies and everything and say, hey, don't be afraid of those guys. God's going to be with you. He's going to deliver them in your hands. Not only that, uh, Joshua is going to take lead just like God told, told, told him to. And so as y'all go forth and take over what God promised you, don't be afraid because God got you back. And that's basically what's going on in Deuteronomy. Now, ironically, your other scripture was uh, right after that in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. So Joshua took over from Moses. So Moses was leading the Israelites, and then he basically passed the baton over to uh, to Joshua, which in my opinion, I, we can learn a lot from that alone about how leaders can set their uh, followers up to take their place. That's a great example. But here we are in Joshua 1.9. It says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goest. And so... 
the first scripture, Moses was telling the Israelites, don't be afraid. And he was telling Joshua, don't be afraid. You about to get ready to take over and take lead. And then in Joshua, God himself is coming to, uh, jo coming to Joshua. And um, at this point, Moses is dead. And God, if you read the context of that scripture, God is telling Joshua, hey, uh, uh, remember what Moses taught you. Remember what Moses said. Meditate on my word daily. Uh, follow those words. Follow those teachings from, from your old leader. But now you're in charge. And don't be afraid because I got you. And I think it even said, have I not commanded you to be courageous? And so that's where, uh, especially in a time right now, the coronavirus, those are strong words, especially in the theme of what we're talking about with leadership. Those are also strong words for a leader to uh, mentor down his follower and then for that follower to take over. But at the same time, one other point I'm going to make before I pass it over to you, chief, is, is that, uh, I remember in the Bible where it talks about training a child up in the way they should go. And so leadership is not just a position you hold. Parents can be leaders. Uh, bosses can be leaders. You can be a leader in the military. You can be a leader in your relationship, whatever the case may be. And so I think these two scriptures highlight the point of leaders being able to train their people in, in, in a way that God that favors God in a way that God wants us to, uh, to train our people up and to go. And when you do that, I believe God blessing to be with you. And when if God's blessing with you and if you align with his will, you don't have nothing to be afraid of. You can be bold. You can be courageous because God got you. So that's my view of the scriptures. Let's hear yours, Chief. I would say exactly everything you just said. But man, <laughs> you brought chills. And that's exactly so. It probably comes full circle for you now why my company name is Courageous Leadership Alliance. Yeah. So I will tell you, both of these speak well to me because, it, again, like I said, I didn't, and I, I would honestly say I, I still probably don't fully understand my blessing to this day, you know, but I know that I have a purpose. So that's the start of understanding is that there's a purpose that God gave you to be here and you just go walk in that purpose every day and do the right thing. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know why. And I tell you, most of my life, I've, I've run away from the things that I do now. I've always been put in positions where where I had to take lead, either take lead for myself or take lead for others growing up. Or, and I've never, I've never understood why I've always been the guy who's always had to be almost the person who's shepherding other people and always the people that people naturally came to, even if I was 10 years old or what, and my other 10-year-old friends, why other people's parents, either good or bad, saw me as a positive or a negative influence in their kids' lives. And, and I never understood why my name would always be the, and even I was a shy, introverted kid. I mean, I, I, I couldn't even read in front of anyone. I couldn't do anything out front. I mean, I didn't have good public school accolades. I failed the fourth grade. I failed the ninth grade. I dropped out of high school in the, in the, as a senior. So I always wondered. So for me, you know, once I started finding my, my strength, and started believing in it. And I, and I have a similar story about, you know, I had to part ways with one one pastor a few years ago, but even parting ways with that person, that person still helped me find my strength and, and helped me find a lot of purpose of who I really am and what maybe is God's purpose for me. And and once you start living in your purpose for me, it's, and you talk about things, don't be afraid, take lead. I have made decisions in the Air Force that people, you know, who are not trying to get promoted or trying to be this thing would make. And my decisions always sided with the human domain, how we take care of people. How do you, how do you treat people? How, and that, that part where you talk about being, being, uh, you know, you know, knowing the, the, knowing that someone else has to take this mantle from you, that you have to pass that baton. Um, it's always been centerpiece in everything I do, even at the cost, of any Air Force promotion, or I don't even talk to people about that stuff. It's all centered around uh, urgency to make you this person to lead other people, that you are now the person that has to take this on, this heavy, this burden, and it's heavy, and it's, and, it, and, it's, and it's not always going to be fun, and, but but this is your, and I, and I, and I, and I, I think back as I was reading these scriptures, like, and I even wrote down like six people's names over the last 20 years that I've you know, pointed out, and I just had this 
feeling toward this person, drawn to these people, and it wasn't a mentor-mentee relationship where, hey, I'm going to look at your EPR and I'm going to get you promoted. No, it was a drawn that this person is chosen to do, and I and, and they don't know it. They don't know, and I saw it, saw myself in them. I didn't, I don't know if I was chosen, but I feel like I'm put here for a purpose. And maybe that purpose, you know, you know, wasn't to be a pastor or a skilled writer. Maybe my purpose was to be involved in all of these people's lives who now I can look back on and they're, they're out there shepherding. They're out there doing amazing things, not amazing things by a biography, amazing things by a faithful servant. Yeah, that's what discipleship is. That's that you describe discipleship almost perfectly. It's like it's, it's it's not the whole let me sit here teach you. It's like here, come do life with me. See how I do. Let me be an example for you, so that way you can go forth and do great things. And and that's and that's what God called us to do. And so I I firmly believe not only is that your purpose, that's the purpose of every Christian, right? And and then God gave us certain gifts and talents. So for us to be able to do to be able to do that. So if you're a basketball player, you disciple other basketball players to go forth and be a better Christian. If you if you're a teacher like me, me, and, your, me and you, we teach people and we we build up new leaders. And and that's and I I, feel, I, firm, I firmly believe that that's my calling. And that's I think that's why I connected so well with you because I seen that in you as well. Yeah. Yeah, and and the and the part of that really struck me about these scriptures is the fearlessness. Don't be afraid, and that right there is what I've struggled with in, in at a point in my life. And and, and you can tie it sometimes to faith, and and people, you know, I meet people all the time, and I talk to them about faith, and I talk about purpose and stuff. And when I have these conversations with people, people will be afraid sometimes. Those even me at some points in my life will be afraid to take steps that are not even dangerous steps. And I go, for me, I had to develop a fearlessness. And my fearlessness became because I became more faithful that God got my back. That I know that, and I look back and I started going back, hey, you took a kid who couldn't read. You took a kid who couldn't read. You took a kid who had to go back to high school as a 20-year-old, you know, to learn high school because he didn't get high school. You took a kid who for some reason you kept this fearlessness in this kid to keep going back and keep going back. Every barrier I had in my way, I, I, I struggled through college. I went back and got a master's degree, struggled through a master's degree, went back and struggled through a second master's degree. Someone allowed me to start teaching college and to end up, you know, we talked about in the beginning, end up as Air University Command Chief. Man, that, that, was, that was written 20, that was written before I ever came into this earth. And I don't know why. I don't know why, because I didn't have to go out there and get a master's degree. I didn't have to go get a second master's degree. With all of the learning disabilities that I had to face in my life, why would anybody go put themselves up against that? And I questioned myself along the way. I questioned myself, why would I need to go back to high school? I'm already in the Air Force. You know, why do I need to do these things? I mean, why do I need to? And I never knew why I was doing all these things. I never knew why. I used to have friends. One last thing about I say fearlessness. When I was a staff sergeant and I was stationed in Alaska, I had a, I had my second daughter and she was born right after 9-11. And my wife and I were both in the military at the time. And I used to work at the club at night on base checking IDs for very little money. And I used to make like 200 and something bucks every two weeks doing that. And I would be there and I would be there and I'll be studying. I'll be studying college and I'll be studying Air Force promotion stuff. And I can remember, you know, folks used to come in and laugh at me or, you know, either people I work with or people that know me because they're like, oh, man, you know, you know, you know, the jokes. Right. And but I never I never would retreat in myself and go, I'm ashamed or I'm embarrassed. It's just something, I don't even know why I worked there because it's not that we really needed the money. I just felt like I can give my, I, something that I can just give my family a better position is it's only 200 something dollars a week. I'm a couple, I'm, I'm still I'm still putting money into my family. And I would sit there and I would study and I would have people go, what are you studying? I would have people, because you know, people are consuming alcohol and stuff and they would make jokes and stuff and they'll be fine. But then, you know, that was, that was like 2001. And then I fast forward into my life in 2010, you know, nine years later, I was a chief master surgeon. I was a chief master surgeon with two master's degrees, 
what, seven or eight years of teaching college. And I didn't even think about it. And I look back on all of those people who were laughing. And some of those people, one person in particular, and this is what got me like chills. One person in particular, who's like a brother to me now, it was a young airman there who always used to come ask me, what was I doing? He always used to say, hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? And he ended up working on my shift for a few days because we needed extra people. And he said, hey, I see you. Hey, what? And I showed him a few things. Never, and he, he was an A1C. And then he called me one day. He said, hey, I'm getting married to another A1C. Can you come be the witness at our wedding in our apartment? Because they can get any, they can get, they had somebody come over and marry them. So it was myself, two A1Cs, and another staff sergeant, and the justice of the peace lady. So they got married. These two A1Cs, and I was looking like, oh, I don't know, you know, yeah, okay. You know, so they got married. So I'll make the story short. I didn't see them anymore. I ended up PCS in the next year. You fast forward 2001, and then now, now it's 2007. 2007, this tech sergeant showed up to Japan with his staff sergeant wife in his STEM. And now this guy's a tech sergeant, and I'm a math sergeant, and he asked to come work for me. We barely kept in contact then. And he saw me say, I, he told the, the chief, I want to, so they put him on my shift. So we keep his son. They got, you know, a kid now. We keep his son. We become, like, really good friends. And me and him really became, and now he's back at the same situation that we were this years ago. He's like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, hey, you need to go to school. You need to do this. Hey, man, this, I mean, we develop a very good kinship relationship. And I was so proud that when I retired from the Air Force, that A1C, who I was in the living room, um, getting married, that A1C, we became like this the rest of the time. You know, we talk about shepherding, talk about passing it on, and 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 how Moses told Joshua, it's your turn. I was so, this is where this came into play for me. When I retired from the Air Force in December, I was able to look at my brother in arms. He's the command chief at Kunsan. This kid asked me a question in 2000, what are you doing? And never stopped asking me questions from 2000, especially when he saw me in 2007. And if you look at our bios, I never, I never knew this until a year and a half ago. If you look at our bios, if you took the pictures off, the bios and the assignments, identical. He did every, that dude essentially did everything, was following me when I didn't even know he was listening. He got two master's degrees. He went to the FBI Academy, which is very difficult to do. It's only that the Air Force only sends four people a year. I went in 2007. He ended up going, you know, three years later as one of the few enlisted people. His, he literally blueprinted my entire career as I was telling him, and he did it with honor, and he did it taking care of people, and he did it with a reputation that he is a humble servant leader. I, I, I'm like, I mean, I even, him and, we even all went to the same church together in Japan. I'm just like, this, I just did not, so that, when you put that together in that kind of way, and passing that and telling, hey, I'm not going to be here. And that's exactly what I told him last year. When I, he was one of the first five people I called when I retired, you know, because I said, hey, man, I'm retiring. I said, I'm not going to be here anymore. I said, I'm, I'm done and I'm out. But man, it is, it is time for you to step up. It's time for you to step up because I thought I was going to serve 30. Maybe I would have been chief master in the Air Force. Maybe not. But it's time for you because you are the leader who is ready for this. And it's not that we don't have 2,800 chiefs in the Air Force. That's, not, that's, that's irrelevant. I told him, you are the person who has the humble spirit and the faith and the right temperament to be the guy. Yeah, those kind of leaders we need. He's, he's only been in 21 years. 20 years. He has nine years. He can serve nine more years. So this guy ended up falling. I mean, this is a young kid made chief at 15 years in the Air Force. So, and I just tell you, when, when we talk about those two scriptures, it almost brings chills because that's why they were so powerful to me, not the fearlessness of them, 
that's that's what that's what God has given me is almost my wife calls it a dangerous fearlessness sometimes because I am fearless. I will go out there and try anything that I feel that's in my ability. And sometimes I don't even know if it's in my ability. I just go do it. Like, like who go starts a company that ain't never started a company and go out there and I don't know how to write contracts. I learn it. I go just like I learned to read again, just like I learned to, to, to do math again, just like I learned to go back to high school, just like I learned to study and learn to how to learn, learn how to get promoted. I learn. And, and, and so I would tell you, I get excited about that. So I know I went long on that, but I tell you those two, like you say, they interlock into each other. But I, a, a staunch fearlessness and a, and, a, and a sense of purpose to know that you're not going to be here forever. And you have, you have to bring up the faithful servant leaders behind you. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I, I completely agree. So uh, real quick. So you and, uh, and um, the, uh, the guy you were talking about, y'all both retired as cops? Which, which one? Um, the uh, the guy who uh, you said he got nine more years left. He made chief in fifteen years. Did he do no, that at security forces? He yeah. did it all at security forces. Yeah, we both we both did it as cops. I definitely take my hat out to you. I did. I only did about five and a half, and I was like, after my second trip to Iraq, I was like, listen, if I'm gonna retire, I gotta <laughs> do something different. I gotta do something different. Uh, but I think that was just that was really my path because. Um, the fact that I cross-trained, that I think that's what really changed the, the trajectory of my life. Because when I joined, um, I had some good leaders, and I had, you know, but I was still young, you know, and so I kind of had the mentality of you know, I'm just young, having fun. I was like the dumb jock cop. I used to play football my whole life. I didn't even know how to really check my emails when I was a cop because we don't we we don't really work on computers that much unless unless you end up on the desk, which I was like praying to God that I never became desk sergeant. And of course, I ended up being desk sergeant. But then you know, but then I got Stan Eval. But after Stan Eval, I was like, you know what? Which for those who don't know, Stan Eval is to make sure that people and make sure the cops are qualified on their job. They know their job. But then once I got that, I was like, okay, I can't go back to flight. So I, I want to cross train. But the fact that I cross train, what it did was it put me in contracting, and it put me around a bunch of other really smart airmen. And so a lot of airmen that I supervised already had their degrees. And so that's what made me buckle down and start focusing on getting my degree. It's like, man, I need to, I, I, I was basically playing catch up to my peers at that point. And, you know, just fortunate for me, I was able to get picked up for officer training school and, you know, the rest was history. But um, I really thank you for coming on, Chief. I really thank you for being so transparent. I think people are going to find value in it. I think anybody who called themselves a leader or anybody who desired to be a leader could definitely learn from this because at the end of the day, a true leader knows that he's here to serve his people. And if you're here to serve your people, like you said, that saves lives. That made people willing to trust you, made people willing to just go that extra mile for you, and then you set them up for success in the future. 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 All right, y'all, I really hope y'all found value in the show. I really hope that you learned a lot of lessons from the chief. And I just want to leave it out on this note. If you're going into a position of leadership and you are aligned with God's words, then you ain't got nothing to worry about. You can be bold. You can be courageous. You can be fearless. And also, once you're in that position of leadership, just know to reach back and help somebody else out. Mentor the people that are under you. Train them up in a way that will set them up for success. Be able to pass the baton so that way they can eventually one day take your position. And it's not about competition. It's about showing love and kindness and, and guidance to one another. And the more leaders that do that, the more people will see God here on this earth. So until next time, be a blessing. And share your testimony. testimony. Thanks again for joining us on the Blessimony podcast. Make sure to visit our website, blessimony.com, or download the Blessimony app, where you can continue the conversation from this podcast by sharing your thoughts and testimonies on the scripture. You can fellowship with other Christians or check out the Blessimony blog. Oh, and I almost forgot, if you found any value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, Spotify, or on the platform you use to listen to the show. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about us, that would be a huge blessing. Until next time, peace. peace.